nothing's gonna happen if you outstretch your hands you need you need some objects you know you need smoke and you need the leaves and stuff so that's why he didn't believe there would be any power in in a christian praying for him so the pastor came he went to the meeting and the pastor prayed for him and he was miraculously healed just on the spot Hello, and welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor and Port Orchard, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. Jason Schultz is the executive director of Agua Viva Ministries in Mexico, but you're currently in town and this is your second visit to Chapel Hill. How's everything going so far? Everything is going very well, and I'm happy to to be here with you and be able to have a conversation on on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm here in town with my lovely wife, Rigel, which is a very, very unique name even in Mexico. Okay. <laughs> um, R-I-G-E-L. And we were invited to come for the weekend. We, we've been partners with Chapel Hill and their missions department for four years. And we came just to connect with the church, to meet a few people, to talk to uh, Kara about a few things and it's been a great weekend we arrived Saturday we're leaving today just a couple days but it's been it's been really great for us and Kara the missions director here at Chapel Hill that is correct and she's the one who actually got us connected and going this morning so thank you to her I know that you spoke with the high school students Sunday night yes what was the message you gave them the message I gave them was that we would love to have them visit us in Mexico we, Agua Viva, and by the way, I like the way you say it because a lot of people say Aqua Viva, and you, you sounded like a real Mexican there, Agua Viva, <laughs> which means living water in Spanish. We have um, three different aspects of our ministry. One is uh, Christian camping. We have a campground, and we host about 5,000 people a year. We have a Bible school, a one-year school, and a four-year seminary, and we train leaders to go out into Mexico, and we host short-term teams who come to Mexico to serve. They, they, they stay with us, and then we connect with local churches or, or um, uh, ministries, someone in need. And so, so I just went to, to say hello and to encourage them to come to Mexico. We had been down there a few times before, but last year, because of the pandemic, we had a global, is what we called it, a global mission, and yes. we stayed here in Gig Harbor. So I know a lot of people leaders as well as the kids are looking forward to getting back to Agua Viva. So, and it is ministries, plural. It's not the Agua Viva ministry, it's ministries, plural. So you do have your hands in a lot of different things right now. What is the most difficult aspect for Agua Viva right now? For Agua Viva, um, I think like looking at the big picture is how do do missions effectively or, or build the kingdom of God or, or um, do what we're called to do effectively as the church in Mexico grows? I'm a second generation missionary. My, my parents went to Mexico. My dad's from Boston and my mom's from Minnesota. And they've, they've been in Mexico since the early 70s. So I grew up down there. Mexico's home for me. I don't, I don't really consider myself a missionary because it's, you know, I, I feel more Mexican even though I'm white and I look gringo, as they say in Mexico, but I... <laughs> I, I consider myself Mexican, but I compare missions work, especially where we are in the north of Mexico, that, that we have um, the unique opportunity to, to host a lot of short-term teams because they can drive down. Um, it's kind of like, you know, raising children in the sense where, well, you know, my wife and I have three kids, and 
the things that you need to do to your son or daughter when they're one-year-old change to when they're eight-year-olds change to where they're 20 years old. And in the missions field, you know, when my parents went to Mexico, uh, there were very, there weren't a lot of churches. Churches usually had 20 to 30 people on them, mostly women and children, and they needed a lot of help. So I remember my parents, you know, giving out, I would go with them and give out uh, bags of beans and rice because people were just very hungry. We, we'd give out used clothes. We'd do, you know, those type of humanitarian type help. And since then, the church has grown. So the way we need to approach missions is it needs to, needs to adjust and Ministries like ours, you know, it's it's hard to like re revamp things or rethink what what are we doing? What what should we do different to make room for the Mexican church or else we end up doing things for them that that is not healthy on either side. So that's our biggest. I should back up just a little bit. Most of the people that I know know where Agua Viva is, but the listener may not. It's located outside of Ensenada, yes. about 20 kilometers outside of downtown, to the east in the hills, yes. about two and a half hours south of San Diego across the border. You've got it. We're the, we're just like Gig Harbor here is on the northwest corner of the U.S., we're on the northwest corner of Mexico. There you go. And since you're a history expert, Ensenada is a place where Al Capone used to go to gamble at the casino there at Riviera, 100 or almost 100 years ago. There's a very checkered past <laughs> there is. to that area. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, there's an interesting history if you ever <laughs> want to look it up. There's, there's a lot of interesting things that used to go on down there in yeah. the past. What are the origins of Agua Viva? What's the origin story? <laughs> the origin story is that the founder of Agua Viva, a, a brother named Chuy Davalos, who passed away a few years ago, he was from Tijuana. He had an encounter with the Lord, became a Christian, and he he's just on fire for the Lord and, and would evangelize, would preach, very uh, outgoing, you know, full, a great personality. So he just started sharing the gospel all around Tijuana. People were getting saved in the late 70s. So he looked for a place to have camps. And originally they were, they found a place um, further east of, of Agua Viva, about an hour up in the mountains. And, and they would host youth camps there for 100, 200, 300 teens would come together and just have like a youth camp more like a revival type campaign you know preaching the gospel and and so back then there it, it wasn't as easy to do uh to do christian activities so they got closed down and and their land got confiscated so they were looking for another place to to be able to do the same and they found the property property where we are now which are 60 acres uh there in the in the hills so in 1982, we were incorporated as Agua Viva Ministries. So even though it started before that, we're, we're counting, and, I, and I'll put this in here. Next year is our 40th anniversary. So we're going to have an anniversary fiesta next February that you're welcome to come join us. Congratulations. <laughs> the one thing that you have always entertained us with every time we've gone down is the story of how you came across or how Chewy came across that particular yes. property and how it became... Agua Viva. Yeah, so the property is in the hills, Southern California type, you know, the, it's not as green as, as Washington, <laughs> but it's a beautiful area with, with a lot of oak trees, live oak trees, and, and a little creek that runs through. So he, the, when they were looking for the property, early 80s, they found, the, they found it, and they talked to the owner who was a, a Mexican woman, and they asked if they could rent it, 
And she said, well, yeah, you can rent it, but we've dug wells there and it's and the water is not good. It's contaminated. It's, you can't use it to drink or anything. So they called it Agua Muerta, which is dead water in, in Spanish. So Chuy and the team said, no, we're, we're going to use it. We want to rent it anyway. So they started using the property and all the water needed to be brought in from Ensenada or from other ranches that had good water. So I'm not sure what year this happened, but they had a big camp. And so there were, I, there were a lot of people there at Agua Viva and they needed to cook. And the main cook, she was, uh, you know, need to make some beans. So you need a lot of water to make beans. And they were out of water, but were, the well was right next to them. So they, she knew she couldn't use the water from the well, but she had a lot of faith. She got water from the well. She prayed for it. Lord, let us use this water. <laughs> May no one get sick. They, they used water and she didn't tell any, anybody, which <laughs> wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but everyone was fine. And then she told Chewy what had happened. And, and then they took water and they took it to a lab to get tested. And it came back 100% pure water. So that's when they, they named the, the campground Agua Viva. And that's the name of our ministry. So Agua Viva began with a God story. It began with a God story, yes. How long have you been involved with Agua Viva? I've been there for six and a half years. I began in 2015. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the religious makeup, for lack of a better way of putting it, for Ensenada and that area. Yeah, so all of Mexico, um, evangelicals are, are about, or Protestants are about uh, 16 or 17 percent of the country. The country has 100 and uh, just under 130 million people. Probably about 78 or 80 percent of the country will, will consider themselves Catholic. And then, and then the other, the rest are other religions or atheists. Or, but the Catholic Church you know, people will call themselves Catholic, but they don't really have a relationship with the Lord. They don't read the Bible. On any given Sunday, there'll be more people at Christian churches and or, or Protestant churches than Catholic churches. There are more um, Protestant pastors across Mexico than Catholic priests. So it's 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 more of a nominal thing, a traditional thing, uh, of being Catholic. And also, Catholic or Catholicism in Mexico since the time of the the Spaniard conquest was was mixed with the pre-Hispanic religion. So there's a lot of syncretism and, and, and some of the traditions are mixed with, with the Catholic ones. So it's, so it's a different feel for the Catholic uh, church there in Mexico. You mentioned earlier some of the different ministry aspects of Agua Viva. One of the ones that intrigues me the most is the school that you have set up. Yes. Talk about some of your students and how they get there. So our school... We have a one-year program, which that can be like a gap year program. We get a lot of students who graduate from high school, and maybe they're going to continue studying. Maybe they feel called to be in ministry, or maybe not. But they want to take a year just to study the Word, to grow closer to the Lord in prayer and worship, and go out and serve. Um, so that's our one-year school. And then just this year, we launched our four-year school, which has a bachelor's degree in theology, accredited uh, by the Mexican Department of Education, hmm. which is not easy to do, just as a comparison before I talk about some of the students. But like in the U.S., here in the U.S., there's about uh, 700 seminaries, and some of them have different campuses and great schools. In all of Mexico, and Mexico is about a third of the size of the U.S., in all of Mexico, there were only nine accredited schools wow. before we, we got accredited. So we're, no, we're number 10. Um, so, you know, as the country develops, more people... Uh, complete higher education, and there's just a need for, for pastors and leaders who, who are well prepared to lead the church, to be, you know, to teach, to preach, to, to lead um, church movements, because the church has been growing 
I mentioned this on Sunday. When my parents came to Mexico, there were 2% of the country was, Christ, was Protestant. So that was a million and a half people back then. Today, like I said, it's 16, 17%. Uh, and so, that, so that's a growth. I mean, it's not just growth, it's multiplication mm-hmm. more than 10 times in, in one generation. Yes. And the leaders, the leadership development has not kept up. A lot of the churches grow, you know, they plant a church and someone goes and, and starts. But there's a lot of people in positions of being pastors. It's great because it's organic and it's vibrant. And the church, you know, you feel a lot of life in the church. But there needs to be good, sound teaching, Bible interpretation, um, leadership, all, all that has, has kind of lagged behind the growth of the church. So that's what we're trying to, to do with our school. So, so some of our students, um, like I'll talk about Donato and Margarita. And you've probably met him in one of your trips. Donato, he always wears a cowboy hat. Yes. <laughs> Donato, um, he, he and his wife came to Christ a little later in life than, than most people. They were in their 50s when they became saved. They, they became part of, uh, of the church where my parents, my dad was a pastor. And about five years after becoming Christians, they felt called to go to the mission field, which is very strange for a Mexican to be called to go to the mission field. That's something that we're, we're also working, uh, we see God doing. So they came to study, and it, it was a challenge for them you know, in their 50s to, to do the assignments and everything. But they went through uh, the school. They did a great job. And now Donato and his wife Margarita and another younger couple who also went through the school are in the very, very south of Mexico, very close to the border with Guatemala. So about as far south as you can go, up in the mountains where we, you know, where coffee comes from, uh, there's an indigenous group called the Mam, and they're, con- they're considered uh, an unreached people group. That means they, they don't have a self-sustaining church. So they're going up. They can't live up there because they're not part of that um, group. So they live just just outside the, you know, what would be like a reservation in the U.S. And they go up every Sunday. They already have one family who've who've accepted Christ and they're starting a church. So they go worship with them every Sunday. But, you know, that's awesome for us just to see see someone, the whole process where they get trained and then they're going out to reach people who are unreached. You talked a little bit about the students and I do want to get back to them. But one of the other aspects of Agua Viva is not just bringing students in, training them, sending them out. It's also working with the local churches. Yes. I mean, as as much as you have done, as successful as you are, going from 2% to 16% nationally is not entirely because of Agua Viva. There's a <laughs> lot of other things that are going on. Yes. But a lot of these evangelical slash Protestant churches are beginning grassroots, what does that process usually look like, and how are you becoming involved with them? Okay, I'll let me give an example further south. You know, we're on the very northern part of Mexico, but four years ago, one of our teachers at our Bible school called me and said, "Hey, Jason, there's there's some some pastors in the state of Chiapas who who are asking for biblical training, and I love you know teaching and training is something I love to do." So he said. Would, would Agua Viva be willing to help? And, and we said yes. So myself and another uh, teacher flew down to Chiapas, and there was a group of about 35 pastors. They're not part of any denomination. They're part of like a movement. And, and, and so it was, it's kind of unique. And they're, they're, Chiapas is the poorest state in Mexico. So there's lo- they're working a lot of the villages um, that, that have a lot of physical need and spiritual, spiritual needs as well. So we were there with the pastors and, and for three days, and, and we were teaching and had a great time. They're just hungry to learn. 
So, so as I got to know them, I was kind of, you know, asking, so how, how did these churches start? And they told me how, how it started about 30 years ago. And, and then they, they just basically go into a community. They preach the gospel. Sometimes they have, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do music, worship and, and, and preaching and then invite people to receive Christ. People get saved and they plant a church. So they, they leave a pastor or, or they have pastors who rotate through. So I'm asking, and how many churches are there? And, and this was four years ago, and I think they said, well, there's, you know, they started adding them up, uh, about 70 churches in total. And how many, you know, how many people worship together on, on any given Sunday? And so, they, well, this one has 80 and this 200. And so they, they're doing all the math. And they told me, um, 5,000 people, give or take. Okay. And, and the leaders... None of them have had the opportunity to go to Bible school, all the pastors. And they just, I mean, they love the Lord, they love the Word, and they have a structure where there's, you know, two main leaders, and then there's a group of about nine other leaders, and they they see other pastors. But that's an example of, of how the church has just been growing, growing organically. Um, and they were so hungry for teaching, for training, for, for, you know, discovering how to disciple and how to do things. So... So that's, you know, because they're down in Chiapas, that's, that's kind of different. And I was impressed by how, how the Lord is moving all across Mexico. Uh, in, in my, you know, in our context in Ensenada, which is a, a city of about half a million people, we have about 350 churches. And we see there's, there's some denominational churches, but especially uh, the churches that have been growing a lot are independent churches. There's a lot of charismatic churches. A lot of people are hungry for the Lord, and, and, and mostly through friends and family, they come, come to know Christ, and, but, you know, the, the church is growing. It is. One of the most indelible images I have is when our pastor was talking, and it was a mini-conference of sorts. The men's group yeah. had gone down, and we had several pastors from the local churches, which you have to get their trust. You have to talk to them about come in and we're going to do some learning. We're going to do some teaching. We're going to talk about the word. The pastors that were there, us Americans sitting there listening to our pastor, we were just politely listening. Oh, that's a good point. That's interesting. But every one of the pastors that was there was scribbling furiously, mm. taking notes. They were so hungry mm -hmm. for the word, so hungry for knowledge, so hungry for direction. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that has always stuck with me. And it's a passion that you don't see here in the States that often. Where have you seen the passion play out? Well, that, the thing, the, that same thing happened to me when I went to this trip to Chiapas for three days to teach pastors. I was impressed by just their hunger and, and the same thing, scribbling furiously. That's a good way to put it. There aren't a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's also, I mean, we do have good, good material in Spanish. We have a lot of books that are translated, but it's not easy, you know, for an American to go to, to a bookstore or on Amazon order a book for $12. It's not a big deal. For a Mexican to do the same, both because of the price and because it's not as easy to get them, you know, the average pastor doesn't have, you know, a bookshelf with 100 books on it. He, maybe he or she has a bookshelf with five of them. And so, so it's not easy to get good um, training, uh, good material. And at the same time, we're, you know, at the same as in the States, we're bombarded on the Internet with all sorts of weird things. And, and that is accessible. You know, everyone can get YouTube. Uh, but there is a hunger for good training, for good teaching, for growing. And so 
like this year we started our our four-year school um, a few months ago we we visited several we, we did a, two trips to promote it and to talk to pastors about it and we were amazed by the interest in pastors who are already senior pastors they're already in leadership that maybe they've been in ministry 20 30 years but they, they've never been able to go to seminary and they said please open it online because we want to learn and they're interested in the knowledge and they're also interested in having something official that proves that they're prepared for ministry but they they can't wait for us to open classes online so we plan to do that next year but we want to do it with excellence and do it well but there is there is a hunger for the for the word tell me about some of the stories what you've been there six and a half years yes there's got to be a couple things that just stick out in your mind whether it's a gringo group visiting or someone that came into the seminary or a church that you've worked at Mm -hmm. what are some of the stories that stick out to you well last year during covid we were we had to shut down the camp for six months and so no no groups from mexico no groups from the u.s and as a staff, we were praying, you know, what, what, can, what should we do now? Lord, how can we, you know, use our resources to, to glorify you in this time? So one of the things we started was uh, food distribution last year because a lot of people in Ensenada lost their job and lost their income. So we, the first week, we just, I think we had $300 and we bought boxes full of food or we bought boxes and filled them with food. And then we took them to local churches so we take them to the pastor, nine or ten boxes, one for the pastor and the other one to distribute. That way, that way the local church can be the hero and not Agua Viva and, and, and the pastors know who's in need. So that first week, um, there's a couple named Javier and Ceci. And as happens a lot in Mexico, unfortunately, there's still a lot of kind of the macho uh, culture. And a lot of times men kind of see religion for their wives and children. You know, they don't, the church is not for me because I'm a macho so Javier hadn't gone to church in forever. He didn't consider himself a Christian, but his wife, Ceci, was very faithful at, at her church. So her pastor knew that they were in need because they had both lost their income, and he put them on the list of, I'm going to take a box of food to them. But they told, they told him the story that that same day where, when the pastor took the box of food, they, they went to their kitchen. They literally had nothing in their cupboards, in their fridge, in their whole kitchen. All they had was a little bag with, with maseca, which is a mix to make corn tortillas. You add water and you have some tortillas. That's all they had to eat. No money, nothing. And then Javier, you know, seeing the need, turned to his wife and said, well, honey, why don't you pray? See if God can help us. And she was surprised by that. So she prayed. And 30 minutes after they prayed, their, their pastor knocked on the door with a big old box of food and said, hey, we want to bless you guys with, <laughs> with the food. And, and, that, and that's, you know, that fills our heart just, just to know that we're physically helping someone in need. That's, I think... The Bible calls us to do that. The Lord calls us to do that, even if there's nothing, nothing, even if nothing else would have happened. But the best part of the story is that Javier's life changed completely. He, that, you know, that to him was God's way of showing up in his life and saying, I'm for real. And, and he hadn't, you know, experimented God's provision, God's love. And, and his pastor says, since that day, he, he's, he hasn't missed church. He's, you know, changed his life completely. He's a follower of Jesus. You know, when we do something to help someone in need, um, we do it as a way to connect with their heart, as a way to reach out to them. So we love we love to be a part of that. Um, in, in Mexico, there's a higher percentage of indigenous people than in the U.S. 
the U.S. it's about 2%, Mexico it's 10%, which one out of every 10 Mexicans is, is indigenous. A lot of them don't speak Spanish or Spanish will be their second language. And, and the indigenous peoples have been, you know, there's, they've been mistreated historically. You know, they used to live in the best parts of Mexico, the fertile valleys and stuff, and, and they've been kicked out to, where, to up high in the mountains where it's hard to live off the land. So they're very poor, uneducated, um, and Mexicans in general kind of look down on them. And, and those are the areas, there's a lot of those areas where the gospel has not been able to reach. So, so something I love about Agua Viva is that there's a special place in our heart to train uh, indigenous students because they can come and, and receive training and then go back to their own community and be much more effective than an American missionary or than even a Mexican, you know, mestizo missionary who tries to reach them. So, for example, there's um, Porfirio and Lorena. There's a young couple. They live up in the mountains. They're part of a people group called the Huichol Indians, um, kind of on the Pacific coast in the center of Mexico, but up in the mountains. And they, and Porfirio was sick. He, a young young guy, 20 years old, 21 years old, he was married, and he was constantly sick, all the time, struggling. And in their culture, there's no hospitals up there, there's no doctors. They go to the witch doctor, the shaman. So they, so, so they would go to the shaman, and they would have this ritual that would last all night. They, they had to pay 5,000 pesos, which is about $270, which is, you know, a fortune. It's a huge sum. Yeah. So Porfirio, so they would do this and, you know, use herbs and smoke and, and dances and stuff to try to heal him. And Porfirio told me, I'd feel better for a day or two and then it'd come back. So he went through through a couple years of this and he had like, you know, nine or ten times that he paid the shaman. So he was in debt a couple thousand dollars to, to do this. And he was always sick, uh, just in, in terrible condition. And one day a, a pastor who... who who had graduated from Agua Viva as well and is also a Huichol, but from another community came to to have a you know to share the gospel, and someone invited him and he thought you know Christians are the silliest people on earth and and they <laughs> and he he told me he didn't believe him because 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 he, he knew that Christians just prayed you know like outstretched their hands and he said nothing's gonna happen if you outstretch your hands you need you need some objects you know you need smoke and you need the leaves and stuff so that's why he didn't believe there would be any power in in a christian praying for him so the pastor came he went to the meeting and the pastor prayed for him and he was miraculously healed just on the spot so his life changed just from one day to the next and he he was he's young the pastor called us about two months later and he said there's a young guy and young family porfirio and lorena they just became Christians, but they want to go learn. And we usually don't accept. You know, we, one requirement to, to go study is that you need to be a Christian for at least two years and, and be serving at a church. But this is a unique situation, you know, because there's no church. He's the only Christian in his, in his town. So they came to study, and they were in Aguayo for two years, and now they're back in their community. They're preaching the gospel. They have a breakfast program. They're helping. It's a very poor community, so they're helping uh, the children, and they're planning a church. So, so to see a church you know, get planted where there was none is, is it fills us with joy just to be a part of that, to be a part of what God's doing mm. in Mexico. I love hearing the stories. I really do. I, it's just, it's so uplifting, whether it's here in Gig Harbor or whether it's Ensenada. It's just wonderful to hear the stories of, of conversion, of life, of just the joy and, and excitement that comes from, from knowing the Lord and learning about the Lord. 
I, I was joking a little while ago that the uh, rise from 2% to 16% is not entirely <laughs> not entirely no. due to Agua Viva. <laughs> yeah. You are doing your fair share. You mentioned that you are looking to do online classes next year. Yes. What do you see coming up for Agua Viva? What is on the horizon? As far as the school, I feel like this um, we have the potential to be a training center where we we have academic excellence but we're not we don't desire to be just you know an academic center we desire to be a, a discipleship center and we want to train the the three aspects of our school are training in the word in ministry you know like church leadership youth ministry children's ministry leader, equipping with leader with ministries uh tools and also personal growth just what's god's you know vision for for a family uh, finances, all, all sorts of things that, that helped our students personally. So we envision it as being a place where students can come, and maybe it's a year, maybe it's four years, but a season of their life just set apart, away from the city, away from the activity. Agua Viva lends itself for that because we're an enclosed camp, campground so they can come and just experience the Lord for, for a season, grow and then go back to their church or be sent out, you know, we're, we're not a church, so we don't send people out. We want, we, we want to partner with local churches, uh, but where we are able to do that with excellence. And so we envision, we've averaged about 40 students the last few years with COVID. It, it went down a little bit because we couldn't accept students, but this year we, we started with 25. But I think once we start online and, and as new, new classes come in each year, we're going to grow to 50 to 100 students within the next few years. So we're, we're right now we're laying the groundwork for that growth. So I see that as key and just training leaders to go all throughout Mexico or, or even to other nations. Our, our vision is to reach Mexico for Christ. So we're kind of focused on Mexico. But our first student to sign up for the four-year school was a student from Chile. <laughs> so so that, that was a God thing. So, so our, our vision for Arguevia, what we see in the future is, is to prepare leaders in the school with the camp. Um, there aren't a lot of Christian camps in Mexico, and we love camping ministry. We see our camping ministry is twofold. On one hand, we just provide a space for churches to come. We charge the churches very, very little just to cover our cost, but they can have retreats and camps and, and encounter the Lord. And then we do our we organize camps where we do the programming, mostly youth camps. And on an average year, we were, I'll say it this way, in 2019, 360 people made a decision for Christ while while at a camp at Agua Viva. Hmm. So we see the camps being very, very strong for evangelism and for especially the youth camps, just for the, the teens to have an encounter with the Lord and, and to appropriate the faith of maybe their parents are Christians, but for them to have an encounter and to, to be firmed in, in affirmed in the in, in the in their faith is something wonderful. So we want to have just as hosts, we want to make it um, as fun as possible. So we have cabins. Before we had cabins and in a couple courts, we've added a, a little water slide and a little zip line. Uh, we'd love to do a ropes course. We'd love to have, we, we added a paintball field. We'd love to expand those fun parts of camp just to draw people in. And we've had, you know, even groups that aren't Christians have come to play, to play paintball. So it's as a way of, of reaching those who, who, who aren't with Christ. So that's our vision with, with the campground. Right now, our camp can sleep up to 400 people. Um, and, and we'd like that to grow that a little bit. We'd, we want to build an auditorium, an outdoor auditorium, but that, that can fit a thousand people so we can have larger events. Um, and then in, 
and then our third aspect is missions. So we, a lot of what we've been able to do through God's grace has just been through partnerships with churches like Chapel Hill, who've gone down and helped us um, with different ministries in Agua Viva or outside of it. Uh, so we we see missions as a as a partnership. We you know Americans can go to Mexico on mission to bless, to to give, to invest time and strength, but it's also mutual. Um, when when we go, we are blessed as well. Um, you know, Paul says in Romans one eleven that he had never been to Rome, and Paul says, "I want to go. I want to visit you so I can impart a spiritual gift, and so we can be mutually encouraged." So I love that. You know, even the Apostle Paul, he knew that when he went on a trip to visit someone he didn't know, he would bless them, but he was also blessed in the process. And we see that time and time again. So we want to grow in our missions partnerships with with churches and with teams who who can come down. And to give, you know, a, a few days of the of the year or invest a few days of the year in the kingdom, experience of growth and of seeing, you know, a different context that, that blesses in a great way. No, you're absolutely right that each time that I've gone down, I've I've come away more blessed, feeling like I got more out of it than anybody I could have possibly talked to. But that was one thing I did want to touch upon is that as groups that come down for a very temporary period of time, we become an extension of Agua mm-hmm. Viva into the community. Uh, talk about a few of those activities that groups get involved in. Right. So when a group goes down, sometimes groups do construction projects. Like last December, a pastor who's a friend of ours called us and said, hey, there's a lady named Ruby who's... Um, whose son has special needs. He, he's ep- epileptic and has some other needs. They're very, very poor. They live up in a hill on the edge of Ensenada in a little house that's about 12 feet by 12 feet. And there was a storm, a, a lot of wind, and the, her roof blew off. So could you? So the, the pastor called and said, could you help, help Ruby? So, and in that case, like he, we didn't have any groups that year, and. And we didn't have a group that could go help. And he said, we don't need, there's, her neighbors can help her build it. We don't need the, we just need the funds to, to buy the roof. So, um, so we were able to help and we bought, we got money for the roof, but we also got money to do, redo the whole house and buy some furniture for her. So, so, so that was a blessing, just helping someone in need. So when we do construction projects, we're usually building a house or working at a church to help just, just to kind of fast track. If a Mexican church with not a lot of income would maybe take years for them to build a Sunday school room or to fix their roof. And so we can come in and, and just work alongside them, not do the work for them, but just to come in and help them as, as they grow. We do a lot of children's ministry, like a VBS, of, a four-day VBS, and just as a way to share the gospel with the kids and to, and to teach them about God and about the Bible. Something that's been really good that we've done recently is we've, we go to rehab centers, and Kirsten, who was our, our missions director, uh, she told me this idea, and when she first told me, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound a good idea. You know, what's a rehab center? All these guys, you know, all these kind of like a prison atmosphere I was imagining. How's that going to work if we go in? But it's been amazing going into these, because there's different rehab centers, about 12 of them in Ensenada, and men or women are there, sometimes recovering from addictions, but a lot of times, they've been deported or they were living on the street or the different circumstances and they're hungry and they're open and 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 you can we can go and worship with them we can share the gospel that's been a great ministry we do uh homeless ministry right now we're working with three 
breakfast programs in very poor neighborhoods where the kids usually don't have breakfast. So to be able to, to, to feed them through local churches. So those are the types of, of things we do. We want it to be, when someone goes to Argo Viva, we want them to experience it. Because something happens when you experience it. Um, something happens when you see things firsthand. You know, Matthew 9 says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages preaching. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So when we, when we experience something in person is when there's a heart connection that I could tell you or we can watch a video or something. But until you go personally, uh, something happens when you're there and, and, and you, can, you can see something for yourself and, and ex experience it. And, and that really, God uses that in our heart. We've also done some medical yes. outreach um, and even putting bikes back together and <laughs> fixing bikes up. Yeah. It, it's amazing. And the people that come out just to see what's happening and then want to get involved. And then, of course, when we go down with the high school groups, they a lot of the high schoolers just end up talking to, mm -hmm. playing with, being with yeah. the kids down there. And it's just it's it's really a wonderful thing to see. Is there anything you would like to say to just kind of wrap up the idea of Agua Viva for us? I would say, you know, Chapel Hill appro approached us, I believe, four years ago. As I said at the beginning, missions is changing. A lot of short-term missions activity gets criticized um, because people say, well, you know, short-term missions is very expensive and it's not as effective. Or if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to invest an air, airplane ticket to go down to Mexico or I'm going to, you know, $800 for to go down a week. Wouldn't it be better if I just sent an offering and, and it was used down there? And I can see that side of it, but the truth is, and biblically I see the power of partnership and working together. One mistake that sometimes we make as Americans is to kind of see ourselves as the doctor who's going to go help the patient and I have all the answers and I have all the resources so just you know move aside and let me tell you what you should do or let me go fix problems and Chapel Hill approached us because they didn't want to have that type of mindset of, of we're going to go and do everything and, and show everyone how it's done so I, I love I told the youth on Sunday night but Chapel Hill youth are very special you know we we, we have different churches that go down but there's something distinctive with Chapel Hill youth and with the teams that, that go, have gone from Chapel Hill. Just an attitude of service. You know, the teams have come well prepared and ready to serve. Um, and if you go down, it's not so much about what we accomplish in the week, but it's, it's more about showing God's love through relationships. And, and we, you know, we can help on physical things and we can, we can do different activities, but it's the real treasure is meeting someone, the connections, um, connecting with a pastor or with someone, with a, a student or someone someone there. So, so I appreciate that with the partnership with Chapel Hill. And, you know, Agua Viva is kind of a middle ministry between Mexico and the U.S., like our Bible school. If we didn't have any partnership with the U.S., it, we would need to raise the price a lot for a school, and that would be... Uh, that would make a lot of students not be able to afford it. So we value the partnership because it, it allows us to, to go further. We need, we need the partnership. We need the help to continue to be able to do what we feel God's called us and, and to be effective. So we appreciate it, and we invite you to come and visit our webpage, agualiva.com. Just be a part of it. 
pray for the ministry as best you can. I was going to mention the website. Um, there are a couple different videos on there, and it just gives you a little bit of a, a view of the camp itself, yeah. of some of the people involved, to some of the things you do. It's really informative yeah. and very easy to give as well. So it's a good site to visit. This morning as I was doing my devotional, I do one each day, but I, I will admit that sometimes I just fly through it so I can check it off. And yes, I've done my devotional for the day. Yes. But I came across a verse that really struck me because I knew I was going to do this interview with you. And it was relatively short notice. But I came across 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. And it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. And it made me think of you and Agua Viva. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for everything you do. I sincerely appreciate your time. It's been great. Great to be able to talk. And I appreciate the listeners for, for lending us this time to, to learn about missions in Mexico. And it's great to be here. And thank you, Dave. I want to thank Jason Schultz for his time today. And a reminder that the website is Agua Viva. Dot com. That's A-G-U-A-V-I-V-A dot com. This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of the United States. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you and God bless. So you're in town. Uh, it's the second time you visited. We're, you're just making a connection with the church up here. What? And sometimes this is what editing is all about. <laughs> so uh, it's like, where the heck was I going with that? <laughs>